This is Views from the Watershed. I'm Lizzie Mogul, your tour guide. We're here at Devisago Park in the town of Prattsville on the banks of Schoharie Creek. We're upstream from the Schoharie Reservoir and the Gilboa Dam, which are part of the Catskill system. Prattsville is prone to flooding, and there have been some devastating floods in recent history, including Hurricane Irene in 2011. Irene was August 28th, 2011. That date has a color in my mind. It's blue. It's dazzling blue sky over Prattsville, which is basically destroyed. It was an intense day. The weeks leading into Irene, it had been raining constantly. It was all these thunderstorms, and the creeks were filled all the time. And I remember the night before, it was eerily calm. It was beautiful. If you looked west, you could just see clouds on the horizon. There was no movement in the sky. You had this feeling that there was a prelude to destruction. The next day, it was just sheets of rain coming down. It got to the point where probably 10, 15 inches of rain, suddenly all these places were just underwater. I am Lissa Harris, and I am the founder of The Watershed Post a digital news website dedicated to the rural Catskills and New York City watershed. Julia Reichel and I launched it in 2010. We ran it until 2017. About a year after we started it, Hurricane Irene roared through town and gave us plenty to write about. My name is uh, Timothy Knight, and I am a reporter with the Mountain Eagle. I'm primarily up in the Schoharie County region. Uh, I report on uh, Hurricane Irene for the Watershed Post and the aftermath. Before Irene came through, people were primarily worried about New York City and the downstate region, and they were battening down every hatch. Um, closing the subway and all kinds of preparations were going on because they expected it to hit very hard down there. I had lived in the area long enough to know there's probably going to be flooding somewhere. So I set up this live blog that allowed for people to leave comments and contribute in the thought that I might not be able to keep publishing if our electricity went out because that's a common thing around here, if you have a flooding situation. My thought was, I'll hit up a bunch of local reporter types in the area who can kind of chime in and let me know what's going on, where they are. And then I went to bed. And when I woke up, it was flooding everywhere. In Phoenicia, they were cut off. They had no phones. They had no communications at all. The town government people were driving around in a van with a bullhorn making announcements because there was no way to get information. There was a 50-foot ravine cutting off a huge piece of olive oil from the rest of the world. There was just a phenomenal amount of rain. Every high rainfall event around here gets compounded because of the geography. You have all of these towns that are built in these river valleys. They look very peaceful, but when you have a lot of rain falling on the mountains above, it all rushes down 
And Irene came through, it was like a fire hose going through an anthill. It just devastated so many low-lying buildings and infrastructure, roads, bridges. The whole region became impassable. You couldn't physically get anywhere. Electricity and communications were down all over the place. Infrastructure was destroyed, businesses were destroyed, farms lost livestock by the hundreds. My mom and I, we got into the car and we drove down and you could just see the feet of caked clay and dust on every single house, on every single business, on every single street. It was just unprecedented. I was living in Andes and we couldn't leave because Route 28 was cut off. We couldn't go anywhere to report anything. At the time, the local papers weren't doing a whole lot online. There wasn't a lot of radio news. Television is non-existent here. So it fell to us because there was no one else doing it. The level of uncertainty and terror was so high, and no one knew where to turn for information. At the Watershed Post, we were fielding calls from people who were cut off and watching the flood rise and uh, calling us for help. And all we could say was, we will tell people what is happening. And so our little stream of information, which on a good day, we might have a thousand visitors. And all of a sudden there were like 60,000 people at once. The local response to our Irene reporting was beyond anything I was prepared for. And it was a little bit heartbreaking and wonderful to me to be embraced by the community that I grew up in that frankly, as, as a queer person, I didn't think I was gonna be able to come back to. And I did, I came back and I showed up for the community and they showed up for me. It was just an incredibly challenging situation. We have pretty robust systems of mutual aid around here, but everyone was in crisis at once. There was hardly a town in the Catskills that didn't get walloped by Irene all at the same time. And the next morning, there was this dazzling blue sky. It was absolutely beautiful. One of the biggest pieces of, of infrastructure that is a character in the Irene floods was the Gilboa Dam. The Gilboa Dam was the subject of intense speculation during the flood and many false reports. The days after Hurricane Irene, there was a van of people going through the village of Middleburg screaming that the dam had broke, the dam had broke, and every person who heard it got in their cars and they just started going towards the hills. Nothing happened, everyone realized that it was a false alarm, but there was so much widespread fear and concern about that dam giving way before, during, and after Irene that it kind of put everyone in the valley in this psychological condition of constant fear. Even though today it's been repaired and it's in a better situation, it's like this lingering, looming threat over the valley. What happened was the dam was breached, which means that water was going over the top of it. I was getting a ton of reports through the live blog saying the Gilboa Dam uh, has been destroyed and telling people, okay, no, I'm in contact with the DEP. This is a rumor. Throughout the day, people just kept appearing in the live blog, absolutely freaking out that the dam had failed. 
the flood story is part of the bigger story of this very tangled web of land and water politics and this really complicated relationship of intense resource needs. This landscape that looks very green and almost unoccupied, but it's not. It is heavily overlaid with human needs <laughs> and non-human needs that are in conflict with each other often. The DEP, they were managing the water levels at the reservoir, the turbidity from the flooding that stirred up so much muck that would impact their ability to keep their, their water delivery safe for the city. So they're having to manage that in addition to having their infrastructure threatened and being called upon in a very intense way by local officials to help out with all kinds of emergency situations. And I don't want to take that lightly. It is an incredible weighty responsibility that they have to provide drinking water for not just New York City, but there are several communities near the city that also take their water from the DEP's reservoirs. You don't have to go too far back to find major flooding in the Catskills. My family's from the Margaretville area from way back. I was in Margaretville for the 1996 flood. It, really just ran a train through downtown Margaretville. The Freshtown grocery store is basically a dam across the whole area, which becomes one river when the flooding is intense. We were cracking jokes for months about how uh, the river went through the pharmacy and all of the drugs ended up in the, in the New York City watershed. I didn't think I was going to see anything of that devastation again. That was one that they called a 100-year flood. And Irene was a 500-year flood. The reality of climate change is that extreme weather events are happening with greater frequency. And these terms that we throw around like 500-year flood no longer make sense. I would hazard a guess that it won't be 500 years before the next one. The upper bounds of the, of the creeks are higher than they once were. We need to retreat from them. We need to take our sensitive infrastructure away from them. And that is a conversation that we're not capable of having on a community level. Part of that, too, is complicated by the fact that New York City has acquired so much land in the watershed that the town's are being squeezed even more close to the water because more and more land up the mountain is being removed forever from potential development. So the area available to build on and to have human communities in is shrinking. During Christmas of 2020, we had an extremely close call in the village of Middleburg. We had three, three and a half feet of snow up in the mountains. And then over about a week long, it all melted. And then we got a massive rainstorm. I actually got this string of worried text messages from friends like, are you okay down there? Prattsville is flooding again. I'm going, oh no. It was Christmas morning. I ran out of my apartment, which is right next to the creek. And I look at the bridge and it's about six inches below where the bridge is. That's where the water line is. And me and my girlfriend, we packed up our presents, our stuff, and our rabbits, and we went to higher ground because we weren't playing around. 
And if it wasn't for the fact that in the days leading up to that storm, the city dam had pulled back into their reservoirs and had pumped water out, we would have had several feet of water on Main Street on Christmas Day. So if you're not approaching flood mitigation proactively, that's how Christmas goes from a jolly affair to another nail in the coffin in terms of flooding. Until two or three years ago, I wouldn't say that we were actually done with Hurricane Irene in terms of recovery, in terms of rebuilding infrastructure. It took a long time. We're still dealing with flood remediation projects. We're still trying to put things in place to prepare us for the next storm. But climate change, this is going to be a never-ending issue. There's this idea of flooding that's kind of like boom and bust, boom and bust. You know, it happens every 10, 15 years. Prattsville, in many ways, is kind of a warning beacon for the Schoharie Valley. If things go wrong here, that means we're going to be in trouble in a couple hours. Prattsville is a really small, tight-knit community. Now, if you drive down Main Street, you'll notice that a lot of the houses and businesses are raised up. You had people who died. You had houses that were destroyed forever. These flood communities go through this process every 10, 15 years naturally, and we flood. And we pick up, we repair, we rebuild, and we're resilient. And Prattsville is all of those things. Really the most robust system that we have around here for resilience and mutual aid and for helping people in crisis is the volunteer fire department and the volunteer ambulance corps. That's how we do things in rural, small town, upstate New York. I joined the Margaretville Fire Department a couple years ago, and that was a direct result of Irene. And was just thinking, man, like what happens when the next flood comes? Because it's a when, it's not an if, it's a when. I hope that when the next flood hits Margaretville, that I'll be able to be useful in a different way. I remember coming down to Middleburg after the floods hit and volunteering to go house to house and helping people carry out their mud-covered rugs, just helping them move supplies, giving them a bottle of water or something like that. And I saw the resiliency of this community because the community, in good and through bad times, is able to come together as a whole to endure both through the good and the bad. As human beings, we have this concept of place, this concept of home, whether it's through ancestral ties or geographical connections. These flood communities suffer through these floods losing their homes, losing their livelihoods, losing sometimes loved ones. And yet there's this remarkable endurance so that we can keep this place alive and so that we can keep the idea and the identity of our communities for the long run. That's what all this is about. Thanks for listening to another episode of Views from the Watershed. Learn more about this program at walkingthewatershed.com slash podcast tour.